You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, this is a special, special time of the year um, because it is the intersection of some of the best parts of everything that we love, or at least, you know, I love. You've got the playoffs, which some fans, not their favorite part of the year. But for Packer fans, it is. But the playoffs start at the exact same time that the offseason starts. And the offseason is just off awesome. I don't know why awesome almost became awful there, but it's awesome. As much as you'll hear me say, I'm so tired of the drama, it's all drama. Uh, I might say that in certain situations, but don't get me wrong. I love the drama. It's like I've said several times before. Football is just soap operas for dudes. Yes, I know some ladies like it too. I don't care. That's what I called it. I'm sure some dudes like soap operas too. Let's not get all huffy about it. But it really is glow. I mean, it and it all kind of came rushing back. It's like I've described fall before, where you, you know football's coming and it's kind of cool and all that. But then as soon as you get that that little bit of cool air when the leaves start falling, when you kind of get the smell of like dead leaves, it just there's a smell, there's a feel, and it all just comes rushing back. Like oh, football. Like, dude, I've been saying football for like weeks and you've been sleeping. It's like, yeah, but now, dude, now I understand. Now I get it. Now it's in my bones and I remember. It activated something in my DNA, literally. It's like the opposite of PTSD. Something happened and reminded me of good memories for once. (laughs) (laughs) But it really is glorious because you've got, you've got, man. First of all, as I've said before, it's not just about, Packers are great, everybody else sucks. I mean, that's that's a big part of it, but I really enjoy the process of thinking through how to build a team, um, all that stuff. And there's so many teams that are doing that. And you look at the Bears and it's like, okay, take off the cheese hat for a second and think, what does this team really genuinely need to do to become a contender? Look at the Vikings. What, what do we have? Where do we need to go? Look at the Lions. What have we built? You know, what have we started and where do we need to go from here? I mean, are we talking quarterback already or are we looking to build a little bit more? My opinion, you build a little more, but you know, whatever. Who am I to doubt John Dorsey? Although apparently Baker's on the way out. So, you know, maybe John Dorsey and all he's cracked up to be sarcasm. But you've got Black Monday, which we're going to talk about that because it's very interesting. All the teams that are uh, firing everybody and the... uh, People that are getting interviews, you're starting to hear a lot of names. And as you'll see, you know, uh, well, we'll talk about it when we get there, I guess. But Nathaniel Hackett, our offensive coordinator, has been getting a ton of phone calls, which is just, it's one of the negative things, you know, the, the people are going to doubt this, but in, in several ways, the NFL is built for parody. You'd never know it by watching it. And of course, the NFL is rigged as a major narrative, um, so people won't believe it. But it really is, uh, despite efforts, whether it be top-down or just garbage teams refusing to win, there are a lot of things that are, whether it be organically or uh, systemically, built for parity, right? The draft order is a way of building in parity. The worst teams get to pick first, the best teams get to pick last, 
Uh, the salary cap is built for parity. If you have good team, if you have good players, you have to pay them more money. If you have to pay more money, you have less salary cap. If you have less salary cap, you can get less players. Not less, but less quality. You know, bad teams can go out in free agency and, and go hog wild. But another organic way that wasn't really built in, but is just a natural uh, form of parity is if you have a good team, all the teams want what you have. So not only do you have players leaving, because again, if you win a Super Bowl, everybody on your team says, I think I'll take a raise now. And if you don't give it to them, then they leave and somebody that has a bunch of money because they're garbage will pay for that player. So it's not as though all those guys leave, go somewhere else and become somebody else's Super Bowl contender, but it's just a it's kind of like the, uh, what do you call that, the water life cycle or whatever stupid name. You know, you got water that's just floating around in a lake, and then it goes floating up into heaven like the rapture, turns into a cloud, then it makes your day all gloomy, and then it rains on you. And then the rain nourishes the earth. You got these teams, they start to accumulate, and then they get too good, too heavy, and then they fall. And they don't fall in one spot, they spread all across the land just lightly salting all these teams with goodness. But again, some places are the Sahara Desert. So even if it rains, it's just going to get lopped up and uh, it's going to be dry again very soon. But I do think that had a big part to do with the Packers. I mean, there were a lot of reasons, but one of the things with the Packers was they lost everybody. I mean, Mike McCarthy had so many guys that kept getting hired away and obviously he was real good about it. He was real happy about it. My biggest concern was he was so pro-coach. He was so pro-his own guys he kept promoting within and then letting his guys get hired without until he got to the point where nobody was good enough to be hired and we got stuck with all these guys. And then, of course, he never fired them. He ne- Everybody else had the ability to look and say, nah, I don't want to hire those guys. But Mike McCarthy didn't. He's like, well, I'm not going to fire them because they're my guys and I'm going to keep working until they end up getting jobs somewhere else. It's like, no, dude, your job is to win. All right. If these guys aren't getting the job done, they're not good enough to get hired out elsewhere, even though we're winning football games. Come on now. And he would just hang on to them for a decade. And they would still be in the Green Bay if Mike McCarthy hadn't gotten fired. Every single one of them. It's nice that he's a good dude, but it, it held us back uh, quite a bit. But anyways, that's what we're going through. And it's, it is an exciting time. It's an exciting time for a lot of other teams because it's I mean, similar to the offseason with the draft and free agency and everything. You have this reason to envision this world in which we don't suck anymore, which obviously every team that just saw their coach get fired is going through that. But it, it is fun. It is exciting. And all that excitement, it just it kind of makes its way back into my heart. And it's just a general feeling of excitement, the, the rebuilding and reshuffling. And, and it all impacts us. This is where, again, sometimes people get mad. They're like, I just want you to talk about the Packers. Dude, the Packers don't play in a vacuum. They don't just play by themselves. They play the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions. That, that accounts for six of their games per year. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about who they might draft, who they might be bringing up, who their head coach and GM are, what their track record is. Because if they all end up being very, very good, we're in trouble. If they stay very, very bad, then our lives are just glorious forever. So it's just going to be a thing that we discuss, and I'm happy to do it. But you've also got the draft, which we're going to have to ramp that up a little bit. And I think with our bye week, this would be a great time to do that. We might even dabble a little bit today just to kind of get a refresher and just kind of see where everybody's at. Because uh, last time I talked about it, obviously things have been shuffling quite a bit. And, and this is the time of year where things really start to ramp up. Um, because again, a lot of the draft stuff is sort of fake. You know, I, I had asked, uh, I forget who it's a guy from draft countdown. Somebody had kind of tagged him in a question that I had had. And it's basically like, you know, I don't know why guys like this take so long to rise and also why some guys take so long to fall. 
right? Like I was looking at a guy and I was like, I don't know why nobody's talking about this guy. And his answer was, look, you know, sometimes there are there are hundreds of prospects and there's a lot of guys that we haven't even looked at yet. So when we're building all these lists of top 100, top this, top that, these are the only guys we've looked at. And they probably haven't even taken that close of a look. It's a very cursory look. That's why a lot of the really more experienced guys, you know, Mayock back in the day, they don't even come out with their first big board until like two weeks before the draft. Because they're not going to come out with a top 100 list based on the first 100 guys they just happen to look at. Because it's not the best 100. It's who everybody else told me were the best 100, and I ranked them. And I ranked them based on one game each and some kind of grading system that I have that's far from perfect. So you factor in the flaws of the grading system, the flaws of the fact that you're watching one random game, which might be a very good game, it might be a very bad game, even if you pick two games. The odds that you picked uh, games, it could be three or four. The odds that you picked games that represent who they are as a player are very low. The the Mix that in with your flawed grading system, not attacking the grading system, but every grading system is going to be flawed to some degree. And a lot of what we see is stupid, but it really starts to ramp up when you start getting NFL scouting personnel involved. Because again, th- this whole draft thing, despite the fact that a lot of guys like to tell you that it's bottom up, it's top down. And the uh, when we start hearing rumors that certain teams really like this guy, then all of a sudden they're going to fly up in everybody else's rankings. Because they're beholden to what all the teams say. But th- then, then you get, uh, again, hilariously, you'll have like the Packers who draft A.J. Dillon and they'll have a fit. Like, you idiot. It's like, hold on, hold on. Let me let me think this through for a second. If it had gotten leaked that certain teams really liked A.J. Dillon prior to the draft, call it a week or two before the draft, and he may go second round, and you started hearing why, you know, NFL teams are looking at, you know, counteracting the move toward the really light, really fast linebackers with Derrick Henry-type running backs, and A.J. Dillon is one of the few physical human beings on planet Earth that is Derrick Henry. So he could go real early in this draft. He would have flown up everybody's board, and then the Packers would have gotten him in the late second, and he would be been considered a great value because he was a, a early to mid-second round value because, again, we heard second round potentially, so they picked him up at the back of the second. It would have been a great value, but that never got leaked. And so the draft community was to, was allowed to believe that all their nonsense that they actually believed was true, and once it got leaked after the fact, now the draft community locks in their their beliefs about what they had said and, and say, you, you're an idiot for believing. It's such a weird and backwards, and I'm not saying everybody does that. PFF obviously has their own ranking system, and I don't think they really delve into what the community says, because a lot of their stuff is is kind of kind of wonky, although it doesn't even really perfectly tie into their grades. So it's not as though they have a, they're just using their grading system because they're not. So maybe it is, maybe they're also doing that. I don't, I don't, I don't think they have a PFF system for the draft. I don't. Because again, it's not just a ranking of grades. If you saw their college grades, it's, it's, it doesn't work insofar as just top to bottom, best to worst or whatever. But again, you, you start hearing little bits of rumors and, you know, these departments are starting to ramp it up, man. Granted, some of these teams have to find a GM first, but 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 it's getting started. You know, not everybody got fired, and um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting, and and all the while, all this this is why I love this part of the the, the season because not only is the off season starting, which is just a blast, and I love it. Not not the doldrums of the off season when all the fun stuff is done, like the month or two before the season starts. But this part of the off season, not only that, we got the playoffs still. The season isn't even done. This is the best part of the season. So it's, it's absolutely glorious right now. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, the most obvious part about 
the playoff season for the Green Bay Packers, and that is we are getting healthy. For the first time probably all year, we're getting healthier faster than we're getting injured. We saw the return of David Bakhtiari. We saw the return of Josh Myers, and and already we've got people complaining about Josh Myers, which should have been Creed Humphrey, which just is so annoying. And this happens all the time. Like, we got a good player, but we didn't get the best player. There was one guy we could have got that was better, and therefore Brian Gutekunst is an idiot. Could lo- Only one person is going to get the best player. Only one. By the way, we went th- through this with Burns and Gary, too, and people still haven't learned to be patient. Brian Burns had a by far a better first season than Rashawn Gary did, primarily because he played every down and Rashawn Gary didn't. But statistically, Burns was just going out of control. And everybody, it didn't matter that Rashawn Gary, like I was telling you, didn't matter that Rashawn Gary had good numbers. Didn't None of that matters. Pressure rate is actually pretty good, and he's doing these things pretty well. Um, and when you look at his athletic profile, one of the biggest physical freaks in, um, you know, on planet Earth, a guy that size that can move that way, who's actually getting good numbers, just not really a lot of opportunities. Maybe we should be patient. Nope, stupid. Should have taken Brian Burns. Everybody knows you take Brian Burns. I knew it. Everybody knew it. And look, Brian Burns is better. We had Brian Burns. He was available. And we didn't take Brian Burns. We took Rashawn Gary. That was stupid. Everybody knew Rashawn Gary was garbage. Everybody knew it, except for Brian Gutekunst, because Brian Gutekunst is stupid. He's just such an idiot. We took Rashawn Gary, and Brian Burns was sitting right there. Now where are we at? Rashawn Gary is one of the best premier pass rushers in all of football. Nobody talks about Brian Burns anymore. Why? Where are the Creed Humphrey folks going back saying, you know what, I'm going to humble myself because of every single time I run my mouth after just one season, I end up looking stupid because it doesn't matter because everybody forgot about that take and everybody just moves on to a new way to attack. And and, and again, just the idea that I mean, there's no perspective, there's no being just a little bit humble. The, the whole attitude of I knew, everybody knew, everybody knew. There was a consensus that Creed was going to be better. Creed Humphrey went in the second round, bro. If anybody knew Creed Humphrey was going to have as good of a year as he did, he would have gone top 10. Nobody knew he was going to be that good. Stop lying. And again, this whole draft consensus, who had a consensus? It wasn't the NFL because, again, he fell into the second round. In fact, he almost fell out of the second round. If the Kansas City Chiefs wouldn't have taken him at 63, the only team left was the Buccaneers, and then you got Jacksonville in round three again. The Packers took Josh Myers one spot ahead, and we still don't know who's going to have the better NFL career. Creed Humphrey is having an elite season. He might be having the best season of any rookie. I mean, you got Micah Parsons and all that, but that's more flashy. I mean, seriously. 91.4 as a rookie. That's Those are, uh, I forgot the guy's name out of Indy. But th- those are those are top tier, like best guard in football numbers. A guy this good doesn't fall almost all the way out of the second round. Nobody saw this coming. Even the Chiefs, the Chiefs had a pick at pick 58. You know, they took Nick Bolton. They took Nick Bolton before they took Creed Humphrey. Why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. Again, the idea everybody knew. Everybody knew, and we're so stupid. We're such idiots. Josh Myers is a good football player. The Buffalo Bills took Carlos Basham. The New Orleans Saints took Pete Werner. How about Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver? Another guy that everybody knew we should have taken. Have you even heard his name all season? Nick Bolton, Tutu Atwell, a guy I really liked. Did, did anybody mention Tutu Atwell this year? Dwayne Eskridge, Pat Fryermuth, Deo Denebo, Dylan Radens. Uh, JOK is doing great in Cleveland. Still not as good as uh, Creed Humphrey is doing, but he had a pretty good year for a rookie. Lots of names, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of names, including guys in the first round 
Uh, how about the guy that went number one overall, Trevor Lawrence? Who's better, Creed Humphrey or Trevor Lawrence? I'm just saying be humble, man. This is silly. And again, people who say this stuff are just lying. I guarantee, see, and what, what they're not saying is, I knew, I wanted Creed Humphrey. I knew and everybody knew it. Like the entire universe was watching going, this is Creed Humphrey. We know it. This is, this is so obvious. He's the best in the country and he fell all the way to uh, the bottom of the second. This is the pick. They're not saying that. They're saying they should have known in hindsight. If I were to ask these people who they wanted to pick in this spot, it wasn't Josh Myers or Creed Humphrey. It might have been Andre Sisco, the safety. Could have been Jalen Mayfield, the tackle, was a big name for the Packers. Brady Christensen, huge name. Alim McNeil, who we just saw yesterday, who's not having a great year. Osao Digizua, the defensive tackle. By the way, Amari Rogers was a massive name for the Packers. And Packer fans would have been through the roof if we had taken Amari Rogers, including the people complaining about Creed Humphrey, would have been through the roof if we had taken Amari Rogers. So, I mean, the fact that people just lie about this stuff, and then, well, I'm not the GM, I shouldn't know, but nobody, nobody knows, dude. Nobody knows. This idea that they should, who should know? Who knew? Nobody knew, including the Chiefs didn't know. Nobody knew. Not one team, 32 teams, nobody knew. Nobody in the draft community knew. Yeah, everybody knew that Creed Humphrey was better than Josh Myers. You know who else was better than Creed Humphrey? Creed Humphrey was ranked 45th overall. You know what the draft consensus was? The number one guard? So Creed Humphrey was 45th. Landon Dickerson was 40th. Elijah Vera Tucker was 17th. So the draft wizards who know everything said Elijah Vera Tucker was way better. Way better. He went 14th, by the way. So the Jets, despite the fact that the draft community said... Um, he was 17th. The Jets are like, yeah, we think he's right in there. We're taking him at 14. He has a 67 overall grade, 56 pass blocking grade. Good thing they listened to the draft community, right? It's such a silly thing. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. You're just angry for the sake of being angry. All you know is that we had the opportunity to get Creed Humphrey and didn't take Creed Humphrey and you want to be mad about it, even though it's not rational. The Packers need to be perfect all the time or I'm going to rage constantly. It's so stupid. Grow up, dude. Grow up. By the way, wait a minute. Creed Humphrey had a, a real good year, but it was primarily based on like three good games. 91 overall grade because he had a 94 against the Giants, 92 against Philly, 90 against Pittsburgh. His next highest grade was in the 70s. Um, and only about half of his games, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, were in the 70s or above. He had a 69, 69, 68, 67, 66, 62, 59, and a 58. It wasn't all perfect. And we still don't know what Josh Myers is, right? The idea that, well, we've seen Josh Myers play one, two, three, four, five, six games, therefore we know he's no good. Granted, nowhere near is highly ranked. He's probably not even, I mean, he has a 58 overall grade. It's terrible. He had his worst game against Detroit. Maybe he's a garbage center. I don't know. But can we just, first of all, relax no matter what happens. It's the same thing with the Jordan Love discussion. Relax no matter, we still don't know if Jordan Love is any good, so relax. But even if he's bad, so what? This is the argument I, I had... Uh, Mr. A Mr. Negative or whatever I call him, he was he will not stop for the whole day. He wanted me to do a full mea culpa for defending Jordan Love ever. And it's like, th th I have nothing to apologize for. First of all, I never said he was going to be a great football player. I said, we don't know yet. That's all I've ever said, and we still don't know. So there's no nothing else to say about it. I said that it's less likely every time he plays not well, not great. But that's also true of Justin Fields, and he's played like four or five times as much as Jordan Love. And even if he finishes next year, not great. It's like, well, he might still get good. I mean, Josh Allen, year three. And we want to write off Jordan Love after a game and a half. Yikes. But people just, people just, some people just like to get angry.
instant gratification. It's kind of funny too, because my observation of the people who are like this tend to be the sort of get off my lawn types who also tend to be the, this generation doesn't understand what it's like to work. You know what I mean? Those types. But hilariously, they are the most instant gratification. If you don't give me what I want, if you didn't make the perfect decision, then you're just the worst. But who did you want? Well, it's not my job to figure. Okay, then shut up. <laughs> then shut up. Listen, there have been many times I've liked somebody in the draft, and I was right, and everybody else was wrong. It's more of an interesting note than anything else. It's like bowling when I get a strike. It's not like I did that because I've been bowling for years and I've honed my craft exactly how things are supposed to go. I took a swing at the general area I know it needs to go to, and if my arm can kind of cooperate, I can kind of get it in that spot roughly, and maybe all those pins go down. That's more or less what I'm doing when I'm quote-unquote scouting. I'm watching. I've seen a lot of football. I can kind of see what a good football player looks like. I'm kind of pointing in that general direction, and I go, I like that. I think those skills are going to translate. It's like buying stock, man. I don't know, man. feel like it's good. Com- I, I keep hearing about this company in the news. I think it's going to be big. Here's 20 bucks. Boom, it turns into 40 bucks. I'm a genius. I'm going to pull that out real quick, though, before, uh, before that company goes under. 40 bucks? Anyways, we went on a massive tangent here. Uh, I was trying to figure out how we got here. Oh, yeah, that's right. David Bakhtiari's back. <laughs> Josh Myers is back. Um, and the expectation is that Zadarius Smith will be coming back, as will Jair Alexander for the playoffs. I don't know how close to 100% we are, but all the lingo, and now you've got uh, Zadarius Smith releasing. I had to go find it, but um, I mean, listen, it doesn't say I'll be back for sure in the first game of the playoffs, but I mean, it's strongly implied. I mean, it says welcome back as in he's back right now at the end of this video anyways, and it's, it would be weird for him to do this big hype video and be like, oh, he's, he's still uh, out actually. And uh, Jair's been practicing. So uh, my expectation, Josh Myers, David Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith, and Jair Alexander will all be back for the playoffs. Now, again, what does that exactly mean? I mean, uh, Josh Myers in particular is sort of the biggest question mark I have um, because, again, what I said was it would make sense to play him in the game against Detroit, see how he does so that you can make a decision moving forward whether or not you want to play with him because he hasn't he doesn't have a lot of experience yet. I mean, again, he played one, two, three, four, and six are the only weeks that he played. Um, 261 snaps, not including Detroit, prior to that game he had played. So, I mean, the guy's got a lot of work to do, a lot of um, mental reps and all these kinds of things. Do you want to throw him into the fire in the playoffs and trust him? Because remember, it was largely the offensive line that failed us. I mean, there were a lot of things, Kevin King, the pass rushers, uh, but the offensive line has been massive. Pretty much in every big blowout loss we've had, especially in the playoffs, Rodgers has just been on his face the entire game. The offensive line just falls apart, apart, including guys like David Bakhtiari have bad days, Billy Turner has terrible days, and the guys on the interior get all blown up. Do we want to risk that, or should we roll with a guy like Lucas Patrick, who has been hanging in there? I mean, none of these guys are super dominant elite players, but they've been getting it done with it. I just don't know that you put a wild card in there like Josh Myers at this particular point in time. I'm thinking they will. But again, I mean, and even uh, Matt LaFleur did not sound happy with his performance. And as I've said, especially the offensive line, you know, people always rag on PFF or whatever, but every single time that Matt LaFleur either highlights how good a player did or how poorly a player did, especially along the offensive line, it's specifically somebody that PFF highlights with their grades. So at the very least, the way that they grade offensive linemen is very similar. Now, I will say this on the other side, though. For guys like David Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith, and Jair Alexander, I've, I've, 
I've voiced my concern, right? My concern that maybe they're going to be a little bit rusty. And, and there's reason for that concern. And that is all true. But there's another way to look at that. What about guys that don't necessarily need the mental reps as much, maybe don't even need the physical reps quite as much? What about David Bakhtiari and Zadarius in particular coming back completely rested and fresh? Because let's be completely honest, this takes a toll on your body. Especially now that we've got a 17-week season, these guys have been, I mean, just just the practice every single week and just the constant mental and physical toll that this takes. So Darius Smith is coming back healthier, healthier than pretty much everybody on the team. I mean, you, you look at a guy like Aaron Jones and, you know, they always talk about putting him on a snap count because you want to be able to unleash him at the end of the season. They, they did that same stuff with guys like Julius Peppers. And even though Zadarius isn't, you know, 32 years old or whatever, or a, you know, 200-pound running back, the, the principle still applies. You keep guys rested and you can really kind of run them into the ground in the postseason. Now, they may still ease back Zadarius for, for various reasons, but the point is he is fresh and ready to go, and so is David Bakhtiari. They have that one lingering ailment that they're concerned about, but what about the rest of their body? Everybody else that's just beaten and battered and bruised, and they've been doing this week after week after week after week, and Zadarius is like, dude, I got this. It's like the guy that shows up, you know, for the second half of the day at like a construction or a landscaping job. You know, I've been shoveling rock for four straight hours, dude. I'm getting kind of tired. I'm sweating. I'm hungry. The heat's been beating down on me. I'm dying. Pushing this, I mean, I used to do that landscaping, man. It's, you ever push a wheelbarrow full of rocks or bricks up a steep hill? Or down a hill, for that matter, oh boy, that is a that's a thing right there. And and you can do that for eight ten hours. A wheelbarrow full of dirt, rock, sometimes both. You know, you got to put the dirt down first, then you put the rock over top of it, and you got you know you're going up and down these steep hills. Work on these uh, projects over by the lake where you know the land is up real high, but then it kind of swoops down by the water because you want to be kind of raised away from. So there's these steep hills down to where the water is and everything. I've been there, man. But you show up four hours late to that when everybody else is tired. It's like, dude, give me that. Walking around like a wuss. Beyond, you know what the other thing that's interesting too? One of the other things that would happen once in a while, because there's there's a competitive nature, um, at least with me and a lot of the guys I've worked with, landscaping or anywhere else. There's something about shoveling dirt and how fast you shovel and how quickly you do things. That's sort of a manhood thing. I don't care how tired you are. If the guy next to you doesn't look tired and he's kind of shoveling things, if you just complain and are really slow doing it, you're basically saying I'm weaker and slower and fatter and stupider than you. Somehow it's all those things. I don't know how. So when, for example, the boss would show up, and depending on how you handle this, it could be really obnoxious, but he'd show up and be like, what's up, boys? And he grabs a wheelbarrow and starts shoveling, and he's just going like a couple shovels faster than you. If he has the right attitude and has the ability to kind of rally the troops and get people motivated... You kind of get that second win. It's like, all right, let's do this. You start, you know, it's, it's not just this monotonous task that you've been doing. You kind of forget that you're slowing down over time. You get a guy that comes in that's completely fresh and he sets the pace. He sets the tone. This is how fast we're going to work today. Everybody else is going to rise up to that because maybe you just don't see that you're going a half a step slower. You get Zadarius completely healthy, completely fresh, just going absolutely buck wild out on the field, just going insane. Everybody's going to rise to that level. Same with Jair. You bring the swag, you bring the energy, you fly around the field, and all these other guys see it. They feed off that. They, you can see that, especially, I mean, with offense and with defense, but I think especially with defense, it's such an energy-driven uh, thing. When you, when you hit somebody with violence, when you fly across the field, when you make a pick, everybody is energized. They start playing faster. They start playing more violent. And I think Zadarius and Jair are, are two of the biggest pace setters, tone setters, 
Again, Jair just being as good as he is, as fast as he is, and having that sort of swagger, that does wonders. And Zadarius with the violence, just being an animal. And, and, and that's setting aside the whole part where just everything gets better, just generally. Even if they come back at half speed, even if they're not super dominant. I mean, just, just picture, hey, Kenny, slide over a little bit. We're going to put Zadarius on the inside. So we've got um, Preston, Kenny, Zadarius, you know, Dean Lowry, and uh, Rashawn Gary. That's going to be our front. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you just say that again one time, one time real slow for me? And by the way, Jair is covering on the back end. So um, the ability to get the ball out quickly because these absolute fiendish animals are coming for my neck just got a tad harder, a little bit more complicated. So again, that's sort of the other side of the coin. You do have to worry about them coming back a little rusty, a little whatever, but there's also the element of them coming back completely fresh, refreshed, healthy, happy, and, and they, you know, Bakhtiari's got to play and win three games. That's it. I mean, moving forward, four, I guess, total. This guy can win four games. Well, he can't win four games because we already lost the first one. He can win three games and, and hoist a trophy. Can you hang in there and play three games really, really well? Everybody's entitled to a bad day once in a while, and it sucks when it happens in the playoffs, but can you give me three games? Jair, can you give me three games? Zadarius, can I get three games of your best? Every single thing you've got spread over three games. I think that's an easier ask than a guy like Rashawn or Preston or uh, Razul or Stokes or whatever who've been out there doing this week after week after week after week after week. And just remember, I mean, it, it changes everything. It really does. Now, we've seen some unbelievable defensive play. It's slipped over the over the last several weeks, that's true, but we know what this defense is at its best, and we also know that it can be better than that because what we saw at its best still didn't have Jair or Zadarius. Also, um, Rashawn Gary is just... I don't, I don't even know what to say about Rashawn Gary. I mean, Rashawn Gary is basically doing what Rodgers and Devontae are doing on the defensive side of things. He's just not talked about. I mean, just people just don't talk about him, and I know I won't shut up about him, but part of that is just because, you know, everybody knows Devontae and Rodgers and everybody talks about him all the time, every time, and and rightly so. I mean, it's not just what they're doing this season. It's what they've done in their careers. Devontae's breaking career uh, franchise records, and Rodgers is on pace for his back-to-back MVP season. And Rashawn is still a relatively unknown guy, but that's the problem. He should not be unknown. Second most pressures of any football player in the NFL. That's a pretty big thing. But not only that, the grades. I've always said he's a guy that doesn't grade out super well, but the stats are there. Which to me meant on a he wasn't a consistent. Somebody had mentioned this to me before when talking about Diggs, the corner for Dallas, and I do think it's a fair way to assess PFF grades. The grades are largely consistency based, and I've kind of alluded to that in the past without outright saying it because it didn't fully form in my brain, I guess. But if Rashawn, if if, if certain guys have good stats and bad grades, what you're looking at is a guy that is sort of inconsistent, right? If you have two sacks in a game and end up with a you know. 62 overall grade. It's like, well, how can you be average? You had two sacks and and five pressures. It seems like a great day. Well, five pressures accounts for five plays and those two sacks account for two plays. If he played 60 snaps, it means that he was mostly bad aside from these other plays. And by the way, the other thing that they pointed out, and it's why you can see it as more as a consistency-based thing, is because it's only a, I guess, five-point scale. It goes from negative two to positive two. So a positive play can only be positive two. So two subpar plays can completely erase a sack. And you can say, well, that's a flaw in their system. Well, maybe, but that's just to give you an idea of how that all works. It's going to minimize high-impact plays. They don't have a plus 10 because that was a 70-yard bomb for a touchdown that, that won the game. 
right? One of the biggest plays you could ever have, like Aaron Rodgers' Hail Mary to win the game. That's two points, just like that sack was two points. But the fact that his grades are now up in the upper echelon means it's not just the flashy stats once in a while. It is a consistent win after win after win on a play-to-play basis, whether it be rushing the passer, dropping in coverage, protecting against the run, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, it's consistency. And that, that I've always said was the biggest thing, and now we're getting it. And real quick, I want to look at it. Um, I've been doing this pretty much every week because for no other reason than he deserves it. But just a couple things here that I put on Twitter. Gary ended the season second in pressures with 81. He also cracked double-digit sacks with 10. Max Crosby is the only one ahead of him. He has 90 pressures, but only eight sacks. I went back and looked at uh, PFF grades um, as well as their pressures and sacks for the season, but I I looked at the highest grades ever in the PFF era for a Green Bay Packers pass rusher. The highest ever was 2019 Zadarius. By the way, 2020 Zadarius is not on this list, which again, you know, is what it is. But he had a 90.2 overall grade, 93 pressures and 16 sacks on the season. 2021 Rashawn Gary is the second highest graded pass rush grade ever by a Green Bay Packer in the PFF era, right? I'm sure Reggie White would have had some grades that are just stupid. You know, if he if he had a if you told me he had a 97 overall grade to end the season, I'd believe you. But he wasn't in this PFF era. But think about that, Clay Matthews. Their their grading system I think goes back to 2006. Clay Matthews has never had a season this high. Maybe it's a flawed system. I don't know. Clay did have a couple seasons with more sacks, not as many pressures. Which again, if you're talking about consistency, if you have more pressures, PFF's probably going to lean that way. But anyway, 89.3. 81 pressures, which is second only to Zadarius. The, the second highest I can see, and maybe somebody else had it, he just didn't have super high grades, but just looking at a glance here, uh, 67 is the next highest I can find. 67 compared to Rashawn's 81. This is just regular season. I'm not counting playoffs or anything. The next highest is Kabir Baja Biamila in 2007. 85.4 overall grade, 47 pressures and 11 sacks. So, I mean, just based on this, Rashawn Gary's sack conversion rate is actually quite low, and I'm sure that has something to do with the way that he's rushing the passer or whatever. Again, I do think a lot of what they've done, even going back to um, our previous defensive coordinator, is compress the pocket, and I think that works really, really well. But you're not getting sort of like what you had with Clay, where he's just running wildly. His job is to just get around the guy any way you can. You're not really working in unison with anything. You're just your own. You're just basically a, a one-man assassin, and your job is to get free and to get the guy. His job was a sack. You're not trying to compress the pocket. You're not trying to contain. I mean, sometimes you do, but your your job is to just go hunt. And we've seen we've seen also recently. I think it was against Baltimore where the guys were not doing a good job of really containing and compressing the pocket. Maybe it wasn't Baltimore, but it was one of them where they were just kind of running wildly, and they, the the quarterback was able to leak out of the side. So a lot of pressures, not as many sacks, but if they did convert, my goodness. But after that is 2011 Clay Matthews, 84.3 overall grade, 67 pressures, which is, again, the third highest that I was able to find, but only six sacks. 2021 Preston Smith, which, let me pause there because that might be the craziest part about all of this. The fifth highest pass rush grade from any Green Bay Packer in the entirety of the PFF era is 2021 Preston Smith. 80.8 overall grade, 62 pressures, and nine sacks. After that, and so it's sandwiched between, so it's basically that you've got Clay Matthews three times in a row. 2011 Clay, we already talked about. 2012 Clay, 80.6, 49 pressures, 14 sacks. 2010 Clay, 80.2, 60 pressures, and 13 sacks. So you got 2010, 11, and 12 
all mixed in there. And Preston is just sandwiched in between all of that. So again, you want to talk about underrated. What Preston Smith has been able to do, and, and again, he had a, a little bit of a dark pad. He did real good to start the season, then he started to fall off, and it's like, oh shoot, here we go. And then he just he just came right back. And and Rashawn and Preston are working in tandem and just terrorizing quarterbacks. And again, you put put Zadarius back in the mix and keep all three of those guys in there as often as possible with Kenny Clark, moving guys around to the middle of the field. I just want to see Zadarius Smith standing, two-point stance, right over the center. I love when he does that so much, just mugging, you know? Man, it gets me fired up. Just like what they used to do with Clay back when he, they moved him over to inside linebacker. That was He was the best pass rusher we'd ever had at that point. I don't, I don't remember him ever just standing in the A-gap and not getting a sack. It was, it was unfair. It was like he just slipped through. You know, he was just too fast. They snapped the ball, and he would jump in between the center and, and guard before they could even get their hands up, and he would just go run and get a tackle. It's like, dude, why don't you? That's cheating. That's like Madden, like, you know, when, when you weren't able to run past the line of scrimmage, and so you'd have your guy just running. Yes, I did that sometimes. I cheated. I didn't try to do it too much, but if I started losing the game, it's like, nope, you're not going to win this game. I'm sorry. I put too, I, I invested too much time to lose this stupid game with you having a comeback win. So I'm going to have my guy off the edge, just running, legs just kicking, and then when they snap the ball, I'm able to go past the line of scrimmage, and I get a sack in about a half a second. And we'll just pretend that didn't. Oh, man, it's uh, fourth down. That's crazy, man. Oh, well. Hopefully that doesn't happen one more time so I can get the ball back and then start playing fair again. But yeah, um, Rashawn getting no recognition. And it's largely because of the sacks. I mean, 10 sacks is fine, but a lot, 10 sacks is sort of a baseline good. Um, but even that, I, I think if you ask the majority of the NFL fan bases, how do you think Rashawn Gary's doing? They would say he's a terrible pick. Most people, they just don't know. They remember back when everybody laughed at the Packers for picking them, and they haven't heard an update since. And so whatever your last memory is, just kind of what sticks in your brain. They have no idea he's one of the top pass rushers as far as grade, as far as pressures, as far as pass rush win rate. They don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, Dara, by the way, put up a little Dara stat shortly after I did mine, um, looking at it from a different angle. 2019 Zadarius Smith, 17.1 pressure rate, 11.3 run stop rate, 90.2 PFF grade. 2021 Rashawn Gary, 17.5 pressure rate compared to 17.1, so he's actually higher, which let's pause there for a minute. When Zadarius Smith had his 17.1 pressure rate, do you remember what I said? If you've been listening for for the last uh, two years, do you remember what I told you about how crazy that is? About how Khalil Mack has only done this once in his career? How this is a historically high, historically good, only the elite of the elite ever reach a 17.1 pressure rate. It is such a rare thing for anyone to ever pressure the quarterback on 17% of of their snaps. And some premier pass rushers have just never done it. Most have done it once, and that's it. Rashawn Gary surpassed what Zadarius was able to do in terms of pressures. He doesn't have the sacks, which is why it's not as flashy. Remember, Zadarius had 16 sacks, at least PFF sacks. Rashawn has 10 PFF sacks. I know there's somebody out there looking up stats going, no, it's not that. Yes, it is. They don't count half sacks. But from a pressure standpoint, Rashawn Gary is doing a better job than Zadarius did in 2019, and Zadarius had a once-in-a-career season. I don't think we even realize how good, even I don't, I can't get it in my brain. Like if, if he can stay at this level, you look at the youngest, most talented premier pass rusher. We think about the Bosa's, we look at what Miles Garrett and all that kind of stuff. The numbers that Rashawn is putting up right now are up with some of the best and he is brand new and he just keeps getting better. Every, this is his first official year as a starter and this is what he did. He added an 11.9 run stop rate 
compared to Zadarius' 11.3 run-stop rate. Remember, Zadarius was also quite good against the run. 11.9 run-stop rate. I've never really looked at run-stop rate, so I don't have a, a baseline, but I'll have to work on that and kind of get back to you. But better than Zadarius. And then again, the PFF grade is almost identical. It's 89.3 compared to 90.2. It's less than one point difference. And again, what that really tells me is that Zadarius was a little bit more consistent. And, and you start adding in sacks, that could also make up for the the one point of difference is the six additional sacks, which is massive. And, and that's something else to, to keep in mind. A lot of us are very doom and gloom. And obviously the Bears and Vikings and Lions and everybody else would like to remind us how horrible of a team we're about to be when Rodgers leaves and all that. Um, and again, I don't think Rodgers or Devontae are leaving. Um, and for some reason, the, the retort is always, well, then how are we going to pay Jair? Why is Jair the one that comes to your mind? Jair's not going anywhere. Jair's going to stay and they're going to end up being able to save a little bit of money by giving him an extension. What you should be worried about is literally everybody else. You know, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, um, all of our wide receivers not named Devontae, MVS, Alan Lazard. I mean, all these guys are guys you should be worried about. Tunyon, probably going bye-bye. It's a lot of guys to worry about. Jair is not one of them. I think it's just because he's presumably going to be very expensive is why people are worried about Jair. But that's, he's not... He's not on the list of potential whoops-a-daisy, sorry you can't stay. I haven't even taken a break yet. It's 40 minutes. How does it, this is the same thing that happened the other day. I was at like 20 and I'm like, let me just get this one point in. Then we'll take a break and then we'll talk about something else. Nope. We haven't even started talking about black, well, whatever. It's just going to be another one of those days with a random commercial that came out of nowhere. Sorry about that. I try to find, but how do I even know, begin, how do I even begin to know where to put a break? Like where, where was kind of a seg? I don't know. And then eventually I just quit and put it in a random spot. Sorry. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. 
Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. What was I talking about? But anyways, the, the point is, this is still, you know, people treat the Packers as though they're like this old team that's about to fall apart and they're going to have to do a teardown and a rebuild. Dude, they already did their teardown and rebuild. They have a lot of really young, talented players. David Bakhtiari got locked up for a long time. Elton Jenkins is a young, unbelievably talented player. Josh Myers just got drafted. We'll see what happens, but that is the future of our center position, presumably. Devontae is about to get inked. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be here for a while. Kenny is still relatively young. Rashawn, very young. Jair is just about to get his first contract. Stokes, we just drafted. Savage, we just drafted a couple years ago. Kingsley Kiki is still young. And we're going to keep drafting and keep adding to this. I mean, Aaron Jones just got signed. A.J. Dillon just got drafted. Patrick Taylor is a young guy. Josiah DeGuara is young. I mean, if you look at the the core pieces, not that that everybody's equal. Not saying Kingsley Kiki is as good as Elton Jenkins by any stretch, but I mean, the the core of what makes this team go is not a bunch of old guys. I mean, you could look at it and say, well, it's guys like Zadarius that are going to be gone. He hasn't played all year. I mean, the biggest impact guys that might be gone, I mean, Amos, I've said for years, he needs to stay. He is such a clutch core piece of this team. I don't know how you make it happen. I wish they would have given him an extension earlier rather than just pushing money out because it makes it less likely that we're going to be able to keep him. If you had given him an extension last year, it could have freed up some money this year and we could have had, you know, had him locked up for longer, but you decided not to do that. So whatever. But that's, that's like the one guy that's like, man, that's going to hurt when he's gone. Aside from obviously Zadarius, but again, we didn't have him before. And with Savage falling off, I'm just worried about the safety position, which leads me to believe maybe safety is going to be a really big target this year in the draft. We'll have to see. We'll have to look at that. <sighs> which reminds me, I wanted to talk about the draft also. I don't know how I'm going to talk about the draft and Black Monday, but why don't we just do Black Monday? We'll see what kind of time we have. I, I guess we could just, we could do a draft thing tomorrow. We got a lot of time tomorrow. We got a lot of time, a lot of days, but I uh, just want to kind of quickly run through some of the uh, news notes, rumors about some of the teams and whatnot, where we kind of stand. Um, apparently, the Baltimore Ravens were kind of, um, there was some question about them, but the Baltimore Ravens are going to keep everybody intact. So John Harbaugh is going to stay. General Manager Eric DeCosta are expected to stay. Both of these guys are very high reputation type guys. DeCosta has done a great job drafting over the years especially defense. The Baltimore Ravens have always done a good job. And, and they also, they they went through a period of, they lost a ton of guys. So you look at their defense kind of getting gutted and, and getting spread all over the place. Um, and then Lamar kind of takes a step back and there's also injuries to Lamar and some other core pieces. And um, it's understandable where you would say, let's just, let's calm down and give him another year. Uh, as far as Cleveland, despite the rumors that Baker's going to be gone, it sounds like he's going to end up staying. Um, and that, that leads a lot of people to believe that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, the GM, are going to stay despite the fact that they underperformed expectations. The Denver Broncos, on the other hand, um, they did move on from uh, Vic Fangio. A lot of, lot of eyes on Vic. If he's willing to be a defensive coordinator to kind of take that step back, I don't know if he's going to have to. We'll see what happens. Um, it's probably going to be tough for him. It's one of those things where he's going to be such a high-demand defensive coordinator that you almost wonder if somebody would be willing to bring him in as a head coach just because you say, listen, I, you're, you're a head coach kind of not really entitled because you're still going to have to do all the, the administrative duties of a head coach, but you're really here to run the defense and we're going to help to find you an offensive coordinator and their job is to run the offense entirely. I don't want you to touch it. I don't want you to look at it. I don't want you to think about it. But uh, the GM is safe and not only that, but uh, the the powers that be said that George Patton, the GM, is going to have complete control over the process which always makes you a little bit nervous when the guy that hired the last guy that stinks is being given complete power to hire the next guy. 
but who knows. But uh, interestingly enough, one of the names that they're looking at is uh, Gerard Mayo. He was a longtime linebacker for the Patriots. He's been kind of an assistant coach for the Patriots. They're going to they're gonna talk to him a little bit about potentially being a coach. Kind of a big leap from assistant to head coach, but they want to talk to him anyway. Maybe it's more of a defensive coordinator thing. Uh, they're also looking at Dan Quinn, the old uh, Atlanta Falcons uh, coach and the Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator. Uh, they're going to be re- interviewing John Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator. Uh, they've also got plans with Nathaniel Hackett, Kellen Moore, uh, Eric Bieniemy, Jonathan, I mentioned Gannon, Aaron Glenn, the Lions defensive coordinator, and Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator. So that's the list that they have planned. The Jaguars, and this this is why I said, why, why fire a coach midseason? It doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you why. Here's the list of um, coaches they plan to interview, which now should be complete. Nathaniel Hackett, Bill O'Brien, and Dan Quinn. Nathaniel Hackett and Bill O'Brien were planned for yesterday. So they've got two, maybe three that are under their belt, except, however, because they fired their head coach during the season, they've actually got several that are already done. Daryl Bevel, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, Kellen Moore, Jim Caldwell, Doug Peterson. As early as December 30th, these were confirmed done already. So they've already done a lot of homework. They've already, and they're probably going to be able to get first pick. They've concluded all these interviews. They've done the meetings. They're trying to figure out where to hone in on. Apparently, they're looking for a veteran head coach, somebody like Doug Peterson, Jim Caldwell. Uh, They're considering Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator if he's interested in doing that. So as I've already said, is why would you hire a head coach midseason? That's why. And it's not mid, it's toward the end. But that's why. They're probably going to get first, unless somebody jumps real fast on somebody. They're, they're probably going to get first pick. Doesn't mean it's going to be the right pick, but if there's only one right answer, you want to be the first one to get that pick. I mean, look back at uh, the Green Bay Packers when they picked Matt LaFleur. There's really only one coach in that entire group that you really want. And if the Packers didn't get him, if somebody else would have jumped on him, we'd have been in trouble. Uh, Raiders are still looking to replace John Gruden. They are in the playoffs, so that's kind of an interesting twist that nobody expected. <laughs> but um, for that reason, they're not uh, doing interviews and whatnot. The one interesting thing here, and this is this is very interesting for uh, for us as, as far as laughing at the Bears, there's been a ton of talk about Jim Harbaugh going to Chicago, right? Um, and I, I, I keep saying, look, you guys just keep getting your hopes up for stuff that's never going to happen. Well, apparently, and again, I don't know how true this is or if this is just him working the media, but there's a lot, there's a lot of smoke, you know, the whole where there's smoke, there's fire thing. There is a massive amount of smoke on this one. Uh, apparently the, the initial thought was that this was just about more money, but, um, on January 8th, there was an update that says Jim Harbaugh to the Las Vegas Raiders is more than just some wild rumor. Sources tell me the Raiders are Harbaugh's choice of franchise. And a few believe it could happen next week if the Raiders don't make the playoff. Multiple sources, this is via Tony Pauline, multiple sources tell Pauline the Chicago Bears will also make a push for Harbaugh, but the Michigan coach has his heart set on the silver and black. In other words, just like everything else in life, the Bears want him, he doesn't want them. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride, Chicago Bears, right? Am I right? Pursue Russell Wilson, you pursue all these guys, and just your first choice always chooses somebody else. The guy you like always marries your best friend. (laughs) Or your biggest enemy, for that matter. Oof. Amid all the rumors and speculations on Harbaugh the past few days, this seems to be the truest of all. He very badly wants back into the NFL. Again, maybe that's just a fake facade they're putting out so he gets more money. 
My understanding is that he his dream was to be the coach at Michigan, and that's what he had. Maybe that's that that has changed. My my it it makes the most sense that it, this is a money play for me because again that was his dream job and he has it. But the problem is if if everybody knows that's his dream job and he's never leaving, it's hard to leverage for more money. The only way you get more leverage is to start a rumor that you desperately miss the NFL and you just want to go back and there's almost nothing that can change your mind except maybe a massive pay increase. But we'll see. Either way, it's it's interesting news. Um, because it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting just from the sake of NFL news if if uh, Harbaugh comes back, but also just the whole the Bears desperate. You know, they they heard about these rumors and they desperately want them, and they're the the media members like Adam Rank are making these pathetic pleas um, on television. Please come back. Remember, you can be the one to revive the Chicago Bears. Remember, you used to play here. You used to be here for like five seconds. Remember that? Don't you want to help be the man that brings this team back to glory? Like that one time. We were glorious 30 years ago. <laughs> it's like 35 years now. And uh, now it's like, well, if I come back, it's fine, but it ain't going to be to Chicago. I don't know. Maybe he'll go to Chicago. Maybe, maybe he won't even go to the NFL. That seems to be the most likely anyways. Miami Dolphins did fire coach Brian Flores. There was a massive um, surge of anger over this one. Um, I don't... I'm surprised by it, but I... Listen, the whole Brian Flores thing has always been weird. This was like the greatest hire of all time when it happened. And I just remember thinking, why is everybody so freaked out about this hire as though it's like some great hire? I never really understood it. Um, I, I Again, I do think it's a little weird because of how good they were down the stretch. I mean, even if you look at it and say, okay, well, they always start off bad and then end good. And then, you know, they, they still at the end have a bad record. And it's not his fault. It's, it's bad, uh, this, that, or the other. I, if I was in charge, I would look at it and say, look, we are a team now. That just ended the season eight and one. If we can continue this level of success next year, granted, I don't think we played a single good team aside from the Titans, uh, who we lost to. Maybe the Patriots, I guess you could say, but Texans, Ravens, Jets, Panthers, Giants, Jets, Saints, Titans, Patriots. But anyways, either way, a bad team doesn't go eight and one against anybody. I would be curious to see if we can continue this level of success. I don't understand being angry. Generally, when stuff like this happens, you laugh and go, ha, you guys are stupid. This is why you suck. But there's, there's vitriol, hatred. It's kind of weird. But anyways, I don't really understand it. The, uh, well, I, I, I do. There's a very obvious answer for this. The assessment by the Miami Dolphins is that the team is underperforming. That's why you fire a head coach. I don't know how 8-1 and one can be underperforming. I mean, I guess 9-8 and eight could be underperforming. And the assumption is that this last little stretch is a fluke and it won't continue. But again, it's just such a... It's a, it's a tough call. I mean, and Tua might be the one of the bigger issues as well. You did hire a defensive guy, and we've poured a ton into this offense, and the offense is not performing as we'd like it to. I mean, we, we've dumped a quarterback, wide receivers. We've done all these things, and we have a defense that's better than our offense. 22nd is our offensive rank. But I mean, with all that said, though, I would have to think Miami is going to be a major destination because it's, again, a team that just went 20 and, or 8 and, 20 and 1, 8 and 1. Uh, Javon Holland is looking like one of the best safeties in football. That guy's a real treat. The defense, I think, is is kind of starting to pick up some pay, some some steam here. Uh, you got Tua. If you think you can work with him, if not, they're probably going to give you le- leeway and leverage to look for a new quarterback. You got Jalen Waddle at wide receiver, who's a fun guy to to you know be able to to groom and grow. Plus, it's Miami. Who doesn't want to live? Who doesn't want to be a rich guy in Miami? Like I'm going to give you. Seven million dollars a year to live in Miami and be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. 
I think I play that up more than it is. And these guys just want certain jobs that have security and all this stuff. But if, if it was me, dude, it's all about the vacation. Like, I'll give you $5 million to go to Tampa, or I'll give you $7 million to go to Minnesota. And it's not even, if, okay, bad example. $7 million to go to the Giants. I know some people would love to go to New York. It would be my nightmare. The weather is awful. Too many people. Crowded. Horrible. Not doing it. Not doing it. I'm going to Tampa. Give me, give me $5 million a year. Don't you care about the team? Nope. Well, if the team does bad and you get fired, then uh, you get no more money. Oh, shucks. So I'm only going to end up with like $15 million in the bank. How will I survive? Oh, I know. Maybe I'll just stay in my house on the beach in Clearwater, live there the rest of my life and never work a day ever. And I'll start some stupid podcast where I just ramble about nonsense and everyone will listen because I'm a former head coach. Or I'll be a consultant or I'll do whatever. Uh, you know, give me $250,000 and I'll do Zoom meetings with you every week and kind of consult while I sit on my couch and watch film and be like, what did you think about that, coach? Be like, yeah, this guy's kind of sucks. You should block him a little bit, you know. Anyways, uh, that'll be ten grand, Dude, I don't care. Anyways, probably a good job. But yeah, they fired him. This report says, um, according to the report from Jeff Darlington, the relationship between Flores, Tua, and Chris Greer had deteriorated. The Dolphins kept Greer in place and will now embark on a search for a new head coach. So again, we drafted this quarterback. Um, we're butting heads between our GM and our head coach. And so, uh, you know, it's it's not a great relationship here. Stuff like that shouldn't matter, especially if you're winning. Again, that's, that's the big... I don't care about any of this stuff. I know that there are a group of people who are mad about this because of skin color. Let's just cut through the BS. We know that that's what part of this is. Some, some of this has to do with relationships. Some of this has to do with what... I just care about winning. If Chris Greer and Tua come to me crying that, that Flores is being mean to me and we're 8-1, and one, I'm going to look you dead in the face and say, you know what, idiot? We're 8-1. and one. We're successful right now. I want you to shut your mouth and go do your job. Okay? And then I'll bring Flores in and be like, dude, you got to chill out because we're winning and I don't want to have to fire a winning coach. Okay? Stop being a jerk. Maybe just bring all three of them into a room and say, just like I do with my children, stay away from each other. Just stop. Stop being stupid. Just go win football games and stop being stupid and you all get to keep your job, okay? You can't get along when I have to start firing people and I don't want to have to do that. But whatever. They thought the team was underperforming and Flores was not getting along with anybody, so they fired him. Not the end of the world. Not for me, anyways. Maybe if you're a Dolphins fan, you're furious and I can understand that. But for random, you know, Packer fans and whatever to be up in arms about Flores getting fired, it's just, it's a little over the top. Um, as far as head coaching, head coaches that are looking at Brian Dable from the uh, the Bills offensive coordinator, he's the only one listed here. Uh, we'll skip the Vikings because I want to save the best for last. Uh, Panthers are going to stick around with Matt Rule at least for one more year, but um, he is very much under the microscope. Some other guys that might be on the way out, David Culley for the Houston Texans. Apparently they may be the ones to actually pull the trigger on Josh McDaniels, who's been bouncing around since forever, but he's got a lot of ties to that team. Also, real big name, Pete Carroll. And I think Seahawks fans are kind of at the end of their rope with Pete Carroll anyways, but um, longtime successful coach that's kind of worn out his welcome there. According to a report ahead of Week 18 by Mike Garofolo, there is little clarity on the situation surrounding Pete Carroll. Carroll has close to $50 million remaining on his contract and is due to meet the team chairwoman, Jody Allen, this week. That is not an indication of change coming, but it does suggest any decision will not be imminent. But finally, let's get to the, uh, let's get to the good stuff here. Starting off with the Minnesota Vikings, because it's less juicy. They did decide to move on from their uh, coach, but they also decided to move on from Rick Spielman, which surprised a lot of Vikings fans. Um, I think for the most part, he was a liked figure. 
Obviously, he's the guy that drafted uh, Justin Jefferson, and he's, you know, you started to see certain things turn around. I haven't been a big fan of his because, of again, I've been ragging on the way that they've been doing things for a while, just constantly keeping the same old retreads. I don't know if that was for Mike Zimmer or what, but and then not doing a good enough job of replacing them. Um, but again, you're starting to see, for example, Diggs left, we brought in a new wide receiver. Uh, the offensive line is slowly improving. Um, that might be about it, but <laughs> I don't know. I think there's one other guy, safety or something. I don't know. Let's be honest. They, they've done a pretty bad job, but there's a couple things that are working in their favor, but I, I, I completely understand. It. Um, I think that the team has been trending in the wrong direction. They had sort of like the bears. They had a window where the defense was really looking good and the offense was pretty scary at times. They didn't capitalize on that window, which is a Mike Zimmer failure. And then Rick Spielman has allowed the team to slowly deteriorate from there because, again, as people start to age, as people start to leave, as people start to decline, there is not somebody waiting in the wings ready to take over. Right? There wasn't a, a GM like Brian Gutekunst who's willing to take the absolute beating for drafting a guy like Rashawn Gary when we already just picked up Zadarius and Preston. Obviously, what an idiot you must be. Except now, several years in the future, we're looking at a team where if we did not have Rashawn Gary and we're about to potentially lose Zadarius and or Preston, we are in a world of trouble, right? Over the years, picking up one offensive lineman here and there. So as people leave, we got Elton Jenkins, we got Josh Meyer, we got a couple of, you know, John Runyon, all these little pieces here and there that when things start to either fall apart mid-season with injuries or as people end up having to leave, we've got these pieces. And granted, you have enough of an exodus, there's no way you can keep up with it. You have, your hit rate would have to be 70, 80%, which nobody does. But Again, I get it. There, there just has not been, there, there's been, it's just going the wrong direction. The team is getting worse faster than it's getting better. Um, as of right now, there's no talk about uh, head coaching interviews, nothing confirmed anyway, nothing officially planned, but uh, keep you posted as I get news and information on that. Chicago Bears, this is where things get to be a lot of fun. The, uh, the Bears did fire Pace and Nagy. There was a lot of concern that Ryan Pace would stick around, but Bears fans were so happy to hear that uh, Pace is uh, officially gone. And I think everybody completely understands why that is, despite the fact that Bears fans seem to love all their players. I don't know why they wanted Pace gone. I mean, they love Justin Fields. They love the tackle you drafted. You love all the offensive linemen you drafted. I don't know if it's just because you got Jimmy Graham or what, but you guys seem to love even the guys that aren't very good that you draft and all the free agents that you pick up that aren't very good. You guys love them. I don't know why uh, your excited pace is gone, but but uh, they are. The uh, requested or planned head coaching interviews include Les Leslie Frazier, which Bears fans are losing their minds. I mean, again, they were happy for five seconds, and then they heard rumors that Leslie Frazier, uh, the Bills defensive coordinator, is in contention. I'm not sure exactly what it is about him particularly that they hate. I mean, it might just be his history. I mean, he was a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings for a while, and he was a complete disaster. It maybe doesn't need to go any deeper than that, um, but he is a former Chicago Bear, and he's a defensive guy, so it kind of makes sense. He's familiar with the NFC North a little bit with his, I shouldn't say a little bit, he was with uh, Minnesota for a long time, 2007 through 2013, went to be defensive coordinator for Tampa, 2014-2015, secondary coach who continues to go backwards with the Baltimore Ravens and then uh, Buffalo Bills, he heads over there. He is now assistant head coach and defensive coordinator. So you see that trend line, you know, you, you kind of work your way up and then you peak and then you fall off and you kind of got to keep working yourself back so that you can work forward. But either way, from what I've seen, pretty unanimous Bears fans are like, don't you dare. Um, we've seen him as a head coach. It wasn't great. 
Uh, Glenn Cook, Browns VP of Player Personnel. Obviously, that would be for the GM job. Not sure why you would want the Browns VP. Um, again, anything with the Browns that you like was probably done by Dorsey. So Glenn Cook took over after the fact, but whatever. Um, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, uh, Browns VP of Football Operations, another Browns guy that they're considering for GM. Doug Peterson, former Eagles head coach, and Brian Dable, the Brian's, uh, the Bills offensive coordinator, all being considered um, for the head coaching job. But the reason I say that this is the most exciting is... Uh, everything to do with the McCaskies. Um, Bears fans had to listen to their owner do a an interview that was just the most embarrassing thing in the world. And is really, you know, it's, it's funny because during the season, I remember I had said that my goal was to crush Bears fans' spirit. I wanted things to get so bad that they began to realize that this is much deeper than just if Justin Fields plays well, we're going to be fine. First, the first thing for them that they needed to realize is maybe Justin Fields isn't the guy because they kept making excuses, kept making excuses, kept making excuses. Most Bears fans still think Justin Fields is an elite player that just needs a better head coach and he's going to be the next Pat Mahomes. But several have come around to the fact that that's not the case. But the bigger thing that did start to happen is they realized that the problems run pretty deep with this team. There are some serious issues with this team. And if you listen to any of my episodes laughing at the enemy, you heard a lot of complaints outside of just the head coach, although there was a lot of that. A lot of defenders that they are just not happy with anymore. A lot of offensive players that they just are are mocking and are just so fed up with. All of that needs to get fixed and rectified. This is sort of similar to that, where they, they put all of the blame on one or two guys, right? Pace and Nagy. They're gone. And here comes McCaskey out of the out of the woodwork to remind everybody that the problems run much deeper. In fact, the problem with them is the fact that they got hired and they were hired by me and I am still in control of this team and I am a complete disaster. The uh, first of many, and I'm going to play a few clips for you. We're way past time, but we got to do this. The first clip is of Olin Krutz. And, the, and this goes back to, you know, the Chicago Bears, I, I guess not really glory days, but he played back when the Bears were a pretty formidable group, and they were a violent, mean uh, group of guys. Uh, mostly it was defense, but you also had guys like Olin Krutz, who were good football players. He was a center, offensive lineman, um, all-pro. He was first-team all-pro 2006, second-team all-pro 2005, six-time Pro Bowler 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, four-time Brian Piccolo Award winner 2003, 4, 2009, 2010. NFL 2000s all-decade team. So you get the idea, right? On the 100 greatest Bears of all time list, consensus All-American back in college, 1997. I mean, it goes on and on and on. He's a fantastic football player. He came out and kind of trashed the um, the Bears. He's doing a lot of uh, Bears media. Um, he works alongside Hub Arkish, so he's, he's part of that whole crew. But he basically came out and said, after I left, they offered me a job to come back at like 15 bucks an hour which obviously is a slap in the face to a all-time great Hall of Fame caliber center for the Chicago Bears to say, I'll give you 15 bucks an hour to come back as a sort of a consultant. And Bears fans were not happy about that. And obviously, you don't expect the uh, leadership to take that super well. But you got to understand what you're dealing with. You got to know how to read the room here, Mr. McCaskey, and understand that Olin Krutz is a beloved player. I mean, this would be similar to um, kind of like... I, I, Maybe like a Josh Sitton. That's probably not the best example. We'll stick with that. We'll say Josh Sitton. And, th- and there was a little bit of uh, heated stuff going on with Josh Sitton and the Packers. So kind of like that, but more loved than Josh Sitton. Here was the reaction or re- response by George McCaskey 
to a beloved Chicago Bear who made an accusation against the organization. George Olin Krutz, um told a story the other day about how the Bears offered him essentially a, somewhat of a consulting role with the offensive line um, for $15 an hour. Were you aware of that offer when it happened? And what was your reaction whenever you were aware of it? I've learned over the years to take just about anything that Olin says with a grain of salt. And I look forward to hearing that story again and hope he includes it in his Hall of Fame induction speech. So you're saying that it's not true? Uh, that's the way it is sometimes with Olin. Don't get the whole story. And Olin knows what the story is. So I had a strong desire to trim up the dead air space, but I kind of wanted to leave it in there just to give you a full picture of what exactly happened. Very weird, very odd. And listen, maybe there is a story. Maybe Olin, you know, did something to the bears and it was not a great thing and they were trying to extend an olive branch or I don't know what it could possibly be, but, you know, it's, uh, oh, that's gross. Anyways, maybe there is a story, but there's still a better way to handle that. And if there, if it is something like that, then... You, d you don't just straight out attack the guy and be like, look, he doesn't tell the truth. He's a liar. Just be like, you know, there, there's a there's a bigger story behind. Yes, it happened. There's a history there. For the for out of respect for Olin, I'm not going to talk about what that is. But uh, he and I know what that is. We did do it. It was not meant to be disrespectful. It was it was based on some things that had happened. And I'm going to leave it at that. Something like that. Just allude to there's a bigger story, but I'm not going to talk about it out of respect for him because I respect him. He he was so disrespectful. Even the way with his, his sarcastic, oh, I can't wait to hear him tell that story at his Hall of Fame speech. Like, dude, come on, man. By the way, what was gross is Tom Pelissero one minute ago. The Bears put in a request to interview Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett for their head coaching job per source. Hackett already has interviews scheduled this week. So I would be surprised if he ends up even going to the Bears unless that's like his only offer. I also, though, am skeptical that Nathaniel Hackett is going to be a massively successful head coach. I hate to be disrespectful that way. I just, I don't know that that's going to be a thing. Um, very briefly, why I think that, although I, I, it's impossible to gauge how good or bad a, a coach is going to be. You never really know. But I don't know that he was super wildly successful, and he came from a different scheme kind of uh, orientation than what Matt LaFleur is running. And so essentially what they're hiring him for is to run Matt LaFleur's scheme. And maybe he can kind of do that, but it's only been a couple years. So he's he's going to be looked at as, can you be Matt LaFleur when you come here? And that's really as deep as it goes. I don't think he was very wildly successful when he was with the Jaguars. And again, he was running a completely different kind of a scheme out there. So I don't, I, again, maybe he's going to pick this up. This will be his new identity and he's going to run it extremely well, just like he has been with the Packers, right? Just I'm just going to pretend nothing's changed, nothing's different, but... Um, you know, there has to be more to it than that. Matt LaFleur wasn't hired just because he's a Sean McVay guy. And if he was, that was a stupid reason, but it has to be deeper than that. It's not just, can you do what Sean McVay tells you to do? It's, can you bring this to, do you understand this at a conceptual level? Can you foundationally understand the concepts and principles on top of all the other duties a head coach has to do with how to structure your, your team, your meetings, your practices, all the little decisions that have to be made on a second-by-second -second basis, all the millions of calculations that have to be made. 
Um, even just things like who to hire, who's going to be his offensive and defensive coordinators, who who is your staff, what what are you going to do with all these things? What about you know you know Matt Lafleur was a big quarterback guy, probably a big part of the reason that Aaron Rodgers is MVP. What is what does Hackett bring to the table when it comes to drafting more players? And the GM says, what are we working? With? What are you looking for? What 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 kind of person are you looking? Do you can you can you do all those things? It's, it, there's just a a really really big level outside of being an offensive coordinator for uh, Matt LaFleur in which, you know, Matt LaFleur says, here's my playbook, my plays, my concepts, what I want to happen. Can you execute this for me or to help me execute this? That's that. I mean, it's just, it's just a big leap. Not to say he can't do it, but there's a huge gap between what he's been doing successfully and what he's going to need to be able to do to be a successful head coach. I guess that's more of what I'm trying to say. Not that I don't think he's going to be successful. Uh, it's that I don't really have any reason to believe that he will. Just like I don't have reason to believe anybody will necessarily. There's just, there's a huge proving ground to being ahead. It's why so many unbelievably successful offensive and defensive coordinators don't succeed as head coaches, because it's really just a completely different job. It's not just play. If you're just a play caller, then you're a coordinator. Head coach is a different job. This here was probably my favorite part of the press conference because it's the creepiest thing ever. Now, just so you know, McCaskey is a legendary name in Chicago. The, the, Virginia McCaskey is the owner of the Chicago Bears. She is basically Chicago Bear royalty. She's the daughter, granddaughter of the the founder, owner, whatever. It's like Hallis McCaskey. It's 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 just it's royalty beyond royalty. This is the owner's son. So this is a comment made by uh, Mr. McCaskey here that uh, really doesn't need much explanation. I just want you to think about the movie Psycho or possibly the uh, real life version of that which is Ed Gein. Um, if you don't know who that is, check that out. Ed Gein is the basis for, I think, three different horror movies. Psycho, I think, is one of them. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another, and I think there's another one. But anyways, here's George McCaskey. Um, I, I don't even know how to, how to segue this. Here, here's him talking about things. Um, at one point in our conversations, I asked her for her assessment of our season, and she said, as only a mother can, I'm very, very disappointed. I honestly think that his best friend is his mom. <gasps> you know what else that reminds me of? Aside from Psycho, a scene from one of the greatest movies of all time. I am very disappointed. Fifth element. All right, continuing on. We're not done. This right here uh, is a clip from Mr. George McCaskey that's going to really, really upset Bears fans. And I, although I don't think there's much that's going to be here, um, remember the, the entirety, everything it's to the point where you almost got to feel bad for him because this is such a disaster or it's not even so much that it's a disaster, but they're just stripping bears fans of everything they love. Everything that you want, everything you love, we're just going to take it from you. what is everything for the bears, right? Coach is gone. They didn't want him. GM is gone. They didn't want him. The ownership, they couldn't care less. They hate, they hate every, again, they could move stadiums out of Chicago and bears fans probably wouldn't care that much. Who cares? The Bears fans want a team that wins. They want to see that uniform out on the field in the Super Bowl. That's about it. And right now, the only hope that they have is in Justin Fields. That's the only thing they have to cling to. That's it. There's a couple other guys that they kind of like, but they know that's, you know, a, a good running back isn't going to win you a Super Bowl. Darnell Mooney is not going to win you a Super Bowl. I mean, he, Justin uh, Jefferson isn't even going to win you a Super Bowl, and he's 10 times better than Darnell Mooney is. 
they know it all falls down to Justin Fields. They like Justin Fields. They feel like he's got the talent. He's got the potential. They just, they love the guy. They want to see him get developed and built up. And that's it. That's a hundred, that's okay. 97% of, of all Bears fans hope is that Justin Fields hoists a, a Lombardi trophy in the near future within the next two, three, four, five years, whatever. That's it. Here are reporters probing ownership. I know technically he's not, he's a vice president or whatever, but ownership, the people in charge of this team and what direction it goes, asking about Justin Fields and their plan for Justin Fields. And and essentially what they want to know is, does Justin Fields take precedent over anybody that you're hiring? Because according to Bears fans, that's more important. Justin Fields is more important than any GM or head coach you bring into this, this place. And I want to make sure that none of those guys mess with our quarterback. Here is that little uh, exchange. It's two different reporters pressing him on this. And uh, the uh, the answer is, again, it's it's just glorious. Adam Johns? Hey, George, to go back to, to Justin Fields a little bit, given the the investment in him, giving up the first-round pick this year and, and whatnot, if a candidate says that he doesn't like him, doesn't want to keep him, wants to move on, would that automatically discount them or disqualify them from the – position of GM or coach? Uh, well, I think I've said before, I don't entertain hypotheticals. Uh, we're interested in hearing what the candidates have to say about the development of the entire football organization um, and especially the quarterback position. We want to know uh, what their plan is to develop that position for us. David Hall? George, just to follow up on that, because I think that's a critical question. I think what, what we're asking is, it's not a hypothetical. If the candidate, you're a fan and you say that you like what you see in Justin Fields, but if somebody who is a football person that you're interviewing, a head coach candidate or a GM has reservations about his potential, does that potentially disqualify that person from getting a job with you? Well, I don't want to get into a semantics uh, debate with you, but your the first word of your question was if. Um, that to me presents a hypothetical and we don't know uh, what the candidates have had to say because we haven't interviewed any of them yet. We want to know what their plan is for that position for the Bears. Is thinking Justin Fields can be a franchise quarterback a prerequisite for either the general manager or the head coach of the Bears? We want to know what their plan is for the quarterback position for the Bears. Pat Finley? So first of all, before we continue, I just want to highlight the disdain that these reporters have for George McCaskey. And if it wasn't, it wasn't something I was aware of previously, but um, I don't know if this is something that just happened today because of how contentious things are getting, but the reporters, the fans, everybody seems to really just cannot stand the McCaskey. That has become evident to me. Um, and here you have these guys doing battle. And look, listen, he answered the question. And I'm not even saying he answered the question incorrectly. You don't want to come out and say, yes, unless you love Justin Fields, you are disqualified from this job. That's not a great way to open up a, a, a search, even if that is true. Even if, you know, somebody's like, listen, I don't really, th- I never really liked Justin Fields. I thought it was a bad pick. Um, but also you, you want somebody to be able to think that. I know the fans are locked into this because they're psychotic about it, and the, the reporters apparently are too. Justin Fields is great, and he must be protected at all costs. I think you need to have the ability to say, I don't, I never, if you're a, a, let's say a personnel guy, 
and you were in another war room that has a great track record, and you talk to the guy and you say, what did you think of Justin Fields? And they say, we do, or maybe you talk to a team that passed on Justin Fields. And you say, why, why didn't you pick Justin Fields? And they say, we didn't like him for this, 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 this reason. And it highlights essentially what he looked like this, you know, he can bring the notebook and say, here's what I said I think he would be as a pro. Here's what he is. I'm not saying he can't be good, but I, I, I don't think that he's going to be a great prospect. That to me shows you a person that chose not to take Justin Fields for all the reasons that he hasn't been successful for your team. Now, maybe that's a high-risk thing because maybe they're going to throw him out before he's he should be, but maybe he shouldn't have been picked. It's entirely possible, Bears fans, that it was the wrong pick, but the, the bottom line is, again, they can't stand the guy. And he's over here playing games, word games, and everything else. It's obvious what the answer is, and he doesn't want to answer it. And, and again, maybe that's for good reason, but I, I just I love the whole back and forth. The reporters are saying, I want you to tell me right now Justin Fields is safe. Don't take the one thing that I have to look forward to away from me. Promise me. I can't stand you. I can't stand this team. I can't stand anything about anything to do with the Chicago Bears. Everything about being a Bears fan makes me sick. But the only thing that gets me to wake up in the morning is the fact that Justin Fields is our quarterback. I want you, you big jerk who has embarrassed us up there for the last half hour or however long he's been up there, do me this one favor. Tell me Justin Fields is safe. Just tell me. Just lie to me. Lie to me right to my face. And he says, well, we don't want to get into hypotheticals. Okay. Well, if the guy comes in and says, uh, I don't really like Justin Fields, is he disqualified? Well, I mean, you said if. You said if. That's a hypothetical. Okay, let me try this one more time. Is believing in and investing in Justin Fields a prerequisite for getting this job? He wouldn't answer the question. The answer to the question isn't, he answered the question. He answered it by not answering it. If the answer was yes, he would have said, I guess that's not necessarily true. Again, the answer could be yes, but they don't want to say it because they want to keep their options open or whatever. But he basically answered it in the negative as far as the fans and everybody else is concerned. He would not confirm the fact that that is a prerequisite. And again, I don't know that it should be. You shouldn't hire a guy unless you believe in... And and again, this this is inconsistency from Bears fans. Pace needs to go, but also his pick of Justin Fields was an absolute home run. What is that based on? You think he's a bad GM. You know that he's the guy that picked Trubisky. He traded up for Trubisky. That was a terrible pick. He picked this guy, and in his first year, he was terrible, worse than Trubisky, and, and just a complete all-around disaster of a quarterback. But we know that he's great. We know he's going to be amazing, and the next GM who comes in here has to promise to commit to him. That doesn't make any sense. I hate to defend George here, but I think the fans are in the wrong on this one. Not to say that somebody should just come in and throw him out, but you should at least be open to it, because I hate to, to remind you of this, it's possible he's not going to be an elite quarterback. It's possible that maybe Matt Nagy isn't 100% of the reason Justin Fields failed. Maybe he's 70%, maybe he's 50%, maybe he's like 5%, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But again, for, for our purposes here today, we're just having a great time just laughing. And, and we are laughing. <laughs> oh, we're laughing. And we're not done laughing. This is going to be an hour and a half long episode. This was, I think, everybody else's favorite part of the entire press conference. And um, for very obvious reasons, again, they, they are grilling this guy. In, in the, here, here's the obvious elephant in the room, and the reporters are calling him on it, and good for them for doing this, right? The fact of the matter is, Pace and Nagy deserve to get fired based on the, the quality of the team, but why doesn't anybody else deserve to be fired? Why don't any of these, these guys, I mean, there's like six vice presidents on the team, and half of them are named McCaskey. Why aren't their jobs up for debate here? And the answer to that is obvious, but um, allow uh, George McCaskey to give you the answer in sort of a roundabout kind of way. Remember, ownership is mommy. Keep that in mind. When he says ownership, he means my mommy. Here we go. But George, I'm referring to your to your record as as the chairman. 
how accountable, how are you accountable for the record that you have? Like you said, it's a bottom line business, wins and losses, you know, no playoff wins, two winning seasons, you know, that's not a great record. So how, how are you accountable for it? And, and, and like I said, does that is, does that lend merit to the idea that, that somebody else should be, you know, like a, like, like a Bill Polian type should be at the, at the, at the top. Yeah. My performance is reviewed by ownership and the board of directors and ownership has informed me that, uh, it wishes me to continue in this role. So again, Bears fans want to believe that there's hope at the end of all this, but the problem is if there's a problem here, it's never going to get fixed because the problem would have to fire itself and it's never going to do that. And you, you say, well, he said ownership and the board of directors. I mean, doesn't doesn't the board of directors take precedent over the owner? It's the way it works in a business, right? The CEO can get fired by the board of directors anytime. So why didn't the board do anything? Well, let's remember, the owner is Virginia McCaskey. Do you know what George McCaskey's title is on this team? They don't have a, a usual structure with like uh, owner, then GM, et cetera, et cetera. George McCaskey's role is chairman. Chairman. What does chairman mean? Chairman of the board of directors. You know who else is on the board? Virginia McCaskey, the owner of the team. Brian McCaskey, Ed McCaskey, Patrick McCaskey. There's also Ted Phillips, who is the president and CEO of the team. His boss is Virginia McCaskey, <laughs> and presumably George McCaskey. Um, you've also got, for example, Andrew McKenna and Pat Ryan. The two names uh, outside of the uh, president or whatever that are not named McCaskey are um, Andrew McKenna and Patrick Ryan, right? Well, these two people are business owners. They're both chairman of Aon, which is a company, and they own about 20% of the Chicago Bears. So they own stake in the team. So this is just a group of, of owners. And the head of this, I mean, just, just imagine being Andrew McKenna, right? Former uh, or chairman of McDonald's, director of the Bears, Aon, Skyline Corporation, just multi-millionaire, billionaire, whatever. And this is a part-time gig, right? You've got a bunch of other stuff that you do. Businesses, directors, all these different things that you've got going on. And one of the things is you're a board member of the Chicago Bears. And you're a board member with the entire McCaskey family. And Virginia McCaskey, the owner, as well as a bunch of other McCaskeys come in and say, okay, let's start talking about who gets to keep their job and who gets to lose their job. And they get to a, they start going through the McCaskies while the McCaskies are sitting in the room. And they look over you and they're like, what do you think about George? You know, they tell George to go outside. Just go outside, get some coffee for a minute, okay? I know they're not from New York, but I, you know, whatever. what do you guys think about little Georgie? And all the McCaskies look at you. What are you going to say? Personally, I think all you idiots should be fired. That's what I think. <laughs> I don't think he's going to say that. You got a nice cushy gig. You're 20% stakeholder in the team. Who cares? You're not going to fire these guys. You're all business partners. This is your business. You're gonna, not going to start firing each other. You guys together have to figure out how to generate revenue. There probably wasn't even a discussion. He's lying when he goes in front of the, the podium. They're like, well, the board of directors decided. Yeah, they decided 50 years ago that you were going to take this job and never lose it. There was never a meeting about you losing your job. Just like, none, you guys aren't going to fire each other. You are all business owners in this together, and you got to figure out who to hire to come in here and make this team work. But anyways, just two more clips I want to play, and then we're going to get out of here. And this this really just highlights um, the general feeling of disdain that there is for the McCaskies, because everybody understands what this is, and George knows what this is. He's got the job because mommy owns the company, because his last name is McCaskey. Just like all his siblings' names are McCaskey, that's how they get the job. And Virginia, Virginia inherited her position as 
head of the team, owner, whatever. She didn't earn it. She inherited it. And so there's a lot of disdain toward them because they're running this team that everybody loves into the ground and they're never going to fire themselves and they don't know what they're doing and they're just spinning out of control. And so as things begin a little to get a little contentious, they start giving it a little back and forth here. So here is an issue with, uh, again, there's going to be a lot of quiet because the guy's uh, mic is muted, but it's, it's the whole thing. You're, you're muted, David. David, you're muted. Sorry about that. Hello, George. So that was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. We've talked about that whole reporter ego thing, man. When your back is up against the wall, like George is, and you don't have the fans or the team on your side, and you start uh, attacking the credibility of a journalist and his and the job that he does, we know how they're going to take that. He's coming right for your throat. And not only that, we've also seen as well with the the Packers reporters. They they. Um, they are clicked up real hard. And if you are holding a press conference like this and then start attacking journalists, they are going to be merciless to you for the rest of your... They're never going to let this go. They all officially... If they didn't before, they all now officially hate you because you have positioned yourself as being against these media members. And again, they they click up real hard. They are one for all and all for one. That's just kind of how they operate. So he put himself in a pretty precarious situation. The final clip that I have for you is a old friend of ours. We've we've had him on laughing at the enemy before. It's not um, it's not the tape never lies. Although this may continue because I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of really great clips, and I cannot wait until they hire people because I just anticipate a massive meltdown, um, regardless of what happens. Because I don't know of anybody outside of Harbaugh that's um, really going to get Bears fans excited, but. Um, here it is. I thought George McCaskey today embarrassed himself. I thought that was the single worst performance by a Chicago sports executive at a press conference city in 30 years. He was truly awful today. Yeah, well, and the problem is you and I were part of a show on almost the exact same day last year where we were saying a lot of the same things. Like, what are you doing? About that press conference a year ago. So for it to repeat itself today, I think was... Quite frankly, startling that, that they, they didn't seem to understand the tone of last year. But why should we be surprised? Shame on us. Yeah. Well, and that's why I tweeted afterwards. I said, stunned again, and I know better. Right. Like, I know better. So I just really quick want to bring this full circle for everybody. This is the state of our biggest rival, the Chicago Bears. Minnesota Vikings are not in much of a better spot. The Green Bay Packers are the number one seed, being basically the number one team in the NFL right now, once again in contention for a Super Bowl. If your take the last 24 hours, if your feeling is, I'm going to throw a fit because Josh Myers was taken one spot before Creed Humphrey, you are lost. The football landscape right now as a Packer fan could not get much better with all the things happening, with, with everybody getting healthy, with the team being as good as it is, the, with Aaron Rodgers talking about how much he loves this team. It's speaking directly about Brian Gutekunst and how great the relationship with him has become. With everybody heating up at the right time, Rashawn Gary, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Bakhtiari's back. We're getting Zadarius and, and Jair back. And on the other end of it, this is what other teams are going through. And you want to talk about Josh Myers, who we have not seen more than, than a half a season worth. We've seen a, a third of a season, maybe a quarter of a season from him. Come on, man. You, you got to get a grip here. But I'm going to end it with that. Um, we may we may be pulling up some other clips because this is just too good. This is one of my favorite laughing at the enemies of all time because this this is the all, I mean this this is the bottom of the bottom. 
Everything we've gone through has been about how terrible the season is, and somehow they found a new bottom. Even after they got exactly what they wanted, which is firing their head coach and GM, they just realized that this this pit of despair just does not, it, it just, it keeps getting deeper. There's no end to it. There is no bottom to the pit of despair, apparently, when you are a Chicago Bears fan. It is a, a true, true disaster in every sense <laughs> of the word. But um, anyways, I'm going to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.